I was standing outside greeting this morning, and I couldn't help but notice how many young families were coming in with young kids. First of all, I want to know how you get your kids up so early, because most of them come to the next service, but I was just amazed. How many parents do we have in here that are raising young kids currently right now? All right. How many of you have raised uh, little kids already, and you've done, look, their hands just kind of like, yeah, that's me. All right. How many of you were little kids? Let me see your hands. How many know I'm trying to get you just to participate? You know what I'm talking about? And if you're raising young kids right now, how many of you have young kids that are into Legos? Can I see your hands? How many know Legos are toys from hell? How many know this, right? Does any parents understand this? Jake was a major Lego fanatic. And, um, and, and you're not really, you're, you don't really get your parent badge until you have to get up to co see to them in the middle of the night and step on. Look at all the heads nodding, huh? In fact, there's probably going to be people at the cross this morning, prayer for Lego injuries. Um, I really declare, Jake liked being by himself, and I declare now as I've gotten older and he's gotten older, I think sometimes he was down in his bedroom by himself sharpening, sharpening the Legos. Like, oh, you want to tell me to eat these peas? I'll get you, you know, and, and sharpening them. And I really think sometimes he strategically placed them around like landmines. How many parents would agree that maybe that could be happening and then call me in there? And I declared that when he was older and had his own kids, um, that I would buy buckets and buckets of Legos, and I would pour them right under his bed where he gets out of bed. And then I thought, well, I better forgive him. <laughs> and it's a good thing we've reconciled <laughs> because I haven't done that. How many of you remember the old days? Now, some of you will not understand what I'm going to say. This is going to be like Greek, but some of you are in the right age bracket. How many remember the old days way back when you had to reconcile your checkbook with your bank statement? How many don't know what a checkbook is? Let me see your hands. <laughs> Right? Remember you had to do that? The bank would mail your statement in. And, and really to reconcile, it's an accounting procedure. And what it does is it takes the bank statement and it takes your checkbook. Because everybody always kept good records in your checkbook. Right? <laughs> you didn't just start over every month when you got the bank statement. Right, everybody? You got the bank statement and you got your checkbook. And what you were to do was you were to compare them to ensure, watch this, to ensure that both statements or both sides or both parties had unity. That's called reconciling your checkbook. And that's what I want to talk about. You could, we could not talk about uh, confronting conflict without dealing with the issue of reconciliation. I recently spoke at a church for a pastor, um, and I hate to admit this to you, but uh, most of you like it when I pick on me, so I'll pick on me. I recently spoke at a church uh, where the pastor and I, uh, we had been at odds with one another. We had a disagreement about something. It wasn't, it wasn't nasty, like we didn't you know, write each other nasty emails or anything, but our relationship had kind of drifted apart. We had a differences of opinion on something, and, and really, the truth be told, our relationship was broken, and, but, but we both were mature enough to recognize that before we could ever preach this stuff, we had to practice this stuff. 
Um, I hate when the message is to me. I love when the message is to you. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And, and we were both mature enough that we circled around, watch this, and we reconciled our differences. Now, to reconcile something doesn't necessarily mean that you take on their opinion or begin to believe the way that they believe. I still was strong about my opinion on something. He was still strong about his opinion on something. But we decided to take two different stances, my checkbook and his bank statement, and reconcile them together. And ladies and gentlemen, that's just one example of being so glad that I did this because this relationship that I'm referring to, it now currently brings me a lot of joy, and it brings me a lot of life, and it brings me a lot of health, and it brings me a lot of strength, and it brings me a lot of wisdom, and it brings me a lot of insight that otherwise I might be missing out in my life because God never created us to do life alone and isolated, but come on, we're always better together. Am I right about it, right? And because we're better together, I believe that's why the enemy works so hard in attacking and conflict that goes unresolved. For the sake of a working definition today, reconciliation, there's a lot of biblical definitions, but I want to take it at its simplest form. Reconciliation means to make peace with. It doesn't mean that we agree on the things that we were disagreeable about. It means that we've just decided to make peace with one another and let the relationship, come on, be bigger than the situation. Mm, I had a feeling this could be a really quiet message, all right? If, if I make reconciliation with you, what that means is that I make peace with you. And, and here's why this is so important, because if you're a Christian here today, if you're listening and you're a Christian, this is really important to us. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you don't believe the way we believe or have a biblical worldview, some of this you might agree with, some of you you won't agree with, but I still think that it's important. Reconciliation is always important, but for the Christians that are here listening today, the Bible tells us that this is part of our lives in being followers of Jesus Christ. To be peace. One of the first sermons that Jesus even preached was, Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, you would think sometimes in some churches and with some Christians, he said, Blessed are the troublemakers. But he didn't say that. He said, blessed. I'm going to bless those that work hard in restoring peace and reconciliation. This is part of our responsibility as Christians. We are called to be agents, come on, of reconciliation. Are you guys hearing me today? I feel like my microphone's loud, but maybe that's because I feel louder on the inside right now than on the outside. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 declares this to us, and it says this. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself. How many of you are glad for that? How many know we didn't deserve it, but God did it? Right, everybody? He reconciled us to himself. How did he do it? Through Christ, and gave us then the ministry of reconciliation. And by the way, you don't need a lanyard to be in the ministry of reconciliation. All Christians that have been reconciled, which means 100% of us now have the ministry of reconciliation. Verse number 19 then says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
Come on, how many of you, I, I know you got some sins that you don't care, but how many know we all got a sin that you don't want nobody to know about, right? And God, he doesn't count those against us because of reconciliation. I love this. And then he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So part of our job as Christ followers and part of our job in being in this thing called the church or the family of God, how many know the church is made up of imperfect people? That's why I always laugh when somebody says, well, I'm leaving the church because over there at that church they, and, and they'll say something. I'm saying, well, duh, because the church isn't perfect. The church is a bunch of wounded, broken people that are on a journey, that are coming together. And while we're pursuing our relationship with this, this way, we're going to bump into each other this way. Come on. And you never know when you're going to step on someone's wound or hurt. Come on, everybody. And get on someone's last nerve. And that's why God makes so much about reconciliation. It's part of our responsibility. Reconciliation not division. It, it's, it's where we, we are supposed to help people get along that might disagree. Because I know the world has become so polarized that if we have different opinions, we can't do life together anymore. But I would say, let's be an open circle where we give everyone the right to come in and search for truth no matter where they are in the journey. Can I get an amen in this house, right? And what's happening in our culture today is there's so much polarization and it's leaking into the church that if you don't believe the way I believe, vote the way I vote, come on now, then you can't do life with me. But the body of Christ is bigger than all of that. Right, everybody? And, um, and here's what I know. Let me get back to the conflict part. Here's what I know in life. There's not a single person here that's listening to me here or online that you haven't been hurt in life. That somebody hasn't let you down. And usually, as we talked about last week, the bigger the hurt, it comes from the proximity of the closeness of the person that does the hurting or does the speaking. And, and you're going to be hurt in life. You're going to be hurt. You have been hurt. And, and, and in case nobody's ever told you this, I'm sorry that you've gone through that or you've gone through that. For years and years, I carried these wounds and hurts in my life until it was in the mid-2000s. I started going to counseling, and, and we got done with a session and came out in the car. And as I sat in the car gripping the steering wheel, for the first time in my life, my wife looked over at me hearing some things for the very first time. She said, honey, I am so sorry that you've gone through those things. Isn't just a simple I'm sorry, a tenderness she wasn't even there. She wasn't at fault. She didn't have any idea. But just somebody empathizing and caring and feeling what you're feeling, doesn't it just go a long way in helping restore the wound? Come on. Is that right, everyone? And uh, I know you've been hurt. I've been hurt. We live in this world, and you're not going to get through this world without being hurt. I've hurt my own feelings sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? And, and you've been hurt by what people have said to you. you. You've been hurt by what people have thought about you. You've been hurt about what people have posted about you, what people have done to you. And, and, and it's in every arena of our life. They've done things to us physically, emotionally verbally, God forbid, and I know it's in the room, sexually, 
financially. We've all gone through our hurts, and, and many of us carry deep wounds, deep wounds from the past, and we're wondering why we can't break through in the present because we're still using the measuring stick from the past to try to measure our present, and if we're using that old measuring stick, we're never going to outmeasure where we're at right now. And I believe this series, I've been praying for you, that this would be the series that would start healing those old wounds and confronting the conflict in our life. Right, everybody? And, um, and, and sometimes it comes from parents. Sometimes it comes from partners. Sometimes it comes through peers. And, and here's something I know. Contrary to popular belief, here's one of the things I know. This is a, this is a myth that we hear often uh, and so contrary to that, time does not heal all wounds. It doesn't. Matter of fact, I think that time might even make the wounds worse. I think that's why Paul said, don't let the sun go down on our anger. If I could paraphrase for a moment, don't even let the sun go down on our hurt without us dealing or confronting it. Not, not even necessarily confronting the person, but confronting the issue. When we let the sun go down and we think that time will pass and time will heal, time doesn't heal. What it does is it allows days to go by and secretly, without us even noticing, while we're ignoring the hurt, while we're ignoring the disappointment, somewhere deep in the dark recesses of our soul, that hurt now is springing roots that are growing quite Quietly, undetected, because the devil has a plan, and the plan is to rob, kill, and destroy. And he's going to reach out and touch those nerves at just the right time. And if you allow those roots to grow, come on, they will eventually show up in some fruit. Mm -hmm. That's what will happen. Y yeah, that was great, PGA Church. I thank you for that, all right? And, 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 but it will happen, and here's the problem. You'll take what happened in a past relationship, and not even knowing those roots are growing, they will be carried over into a new relationship. And, and we'll have the same thing go on because we have a bias, because we have roots that have never been dealt with. And we think that time will heal all wounds. And so here's what I'm begging you. As your pastor, I am begging you to let go of yesterday's hurts today. Today. That would be a good place for a good hand clap. Yeah, yeah. And say, Ken, well, it's just not that easy. Oh, I know. I know how difficult it can be. But it might be a little bit easier. I didn't say forget all the hurt. <laughs> That's not what I said. I said just let go of it. Quit having ownership. Quit coddling it. Quit taking it to bed with you. Quit taking it to dinner with you. Quit taking it on dates with you. Quit taking it to every argument. Quit taking it to every job interview. Come on, everybody. Quit taking it to church every Sunday. Because if you keep bringing that, if that's all that's around you, that's all you're going to get out of life is more hurt. And everyone will let you down. And everybody's bad. And every church is bad. And every man is terrible. And every woman is terrible. So I'm begging of you for your benefit, to let go of yesterday's hurts today. And here's the antidote. And there's only one antidote. I wish there was another antidote. I wish there was some Kool-Aid we could give you. I wish there was a pill that you could take. I wish there was three points to a sermon that would make everything better. But the only antidote to painful memories is forgiveness. That's it. That's all I got. See you guys next Sunday.
No, I worked too hard on this to let you off that easy, all right? And, and, and I almost feel like I ought to say that with some apology. Sorry, but, but there's really no other option. Nothing else can set us free from the past except for forgiveness. You say, well, Ken, I just can't do that. And in fact, there's somebody in the house that's mad right now that I'm even dealing with this. It's like, you just don't know. And you're right, I, I don't. And we all feel our different disappointments at different ways, don't we? One of the worst things we can do is compare our hurts with somebody else's hurt because we all experience those things differently, everybody. And, and, and I think that one of the reasons we have such a hard time forgiving is I think that, especially those of us that grew up in the church, we have this unrealistic definition of what forgiveness is. Uh, we have this churchy, holy huddle, kumbaya definition that can't we all just get along? Probably not. In fact, there's a few. Let me show you who they are. <laughs> we probably won't get along, but we can walk in harmony even though we have differences. Come on, everybody, right? Uh, and, and, and so... Maybe the best way for me to start is to just give you a quick rundown of what forgiveness is not. I think maybe we need a new working definition of if we're going to confront some conflict and forgive some past issues, then maybe we need to know what forgiveness is not. Number one. Number one is forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, anybody had any serious offenses made toward you? You can just wink at me because you might not want somebody to know. Yeah, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean minimizing it. I, I, I've had this tendency in life where I just minimize it because I don't want to show that it bothered me, that it hurt me. I'm cool. I'm good. I'm tough. Come on, man. Where you at, right? No, it didn't bother me. I didn't even give it a second thought. You're a liar. You stayed up all night last night thinking about that thing, right? And, and if somebody comes to you and asks for forgiveness as a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you don't have to follow this, but as Christ followers, we're supposed to give them forgiveness if they ask for forgiveness. Matter of fact, we should give forgiveness even if they don't ask for forgiveness. Matter of fact, we should give forgiveness even if they're still idiots. How many know what I'm saying? Right? We should give forgiveness. And, and, and if they come to us and say, hey, I'd like you to forgive me for whatever the issue. And if your response is, oh, it was no big deal. Then you have minimized the seriousness of what happened to you. Because you know that it hurt you, you know that it wounded you, you know you've thought about it, you know you thought about a good comeback about three hours later after they were gone. How many know what I'm talking about, right? You see, what happens when we do this, I believe that we really actually cheapen what forgiveness is. We act like it was no big deal, but what it is, is a big deal, and we need forgiveness there. Minimizing a hurt, come on everybody, is not forgiveness. Ignoring the hurt, pretending it didn't bother you, that is not forgiveness. Accepting the apology and say, yeah, that, that bothered me. To be honest with you, that did wound me, and thank you so much for that forgiveness. In this series, one of the things I'm going to deal with, when you're the offender, how do you build the bridge back? I mean, I know that's only going to relate to one or two people here, 
but, but how do we build the bridge back when we're the one, and I've got a lot of experience with this, when I'm the one that said the wrong thing, that put my foot in my mouth, that, that did the wrong action, that read the situation wrong, how do we build that bridge back? We'll talk about that in this series. Here's what forgiveness is not. Number two, forgiveness is not uh, an instant restoration of trust. I got a little misspell there. But forgiveness is not an instant restoration of trust. It is not that. I want everybody to hear this very carefully. Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. Amen. I'm going to say it to this side of the room. I got a couple amens over here. I got some groans over there. <laughs> forgiveness and trust, they are not the same thing they are different things completely. Watch this. Forgiveness should be instant, but trust takes time. Trust is a journey. I can forgive you right now, but that doesn't mean I trust you right now. Come on, everybody. Yeah, we don't like to talk about that in church because it doesn't sound real sweet. Listen, let me put it this way. Put this on the screen. Forgiveness is by grace. Trust is by works. Forgive me. I give you grace because God gave me grace. I'm going to give you grace. I hope you'll give me grace. We should give one another grace. We should forgive one another. But it's going to take a little work to restore the trust that was broken because you lied about me, because you stole from me, because you abused me, because you took advantage of me, because I showed you my weakness and you, and you exploited that weakness. That's going to take a little minute. Come on, everybody. They're, they're different things. If somebody repeatedly hurts you over and over and over, as Christians, we're supposed to forgive. And by the way, that forgiveness isn't about them. That forgiveness is about us. And so we're supposed to forgive them because God cares about what's going on on the inside of us. And yes, we're supposed to forgive them over and over and over. I don't have time to go to it, but Peter came to Jesus one day, I think kind of arrogant and saying, hey, Jesus, if somebody offends me, how many times should I forgive them? Like seven? Like he's thinking he's really going above and beyond. And Jesus looks at him like he, I don't know, maybe like he's an idiot and says, no, Peter, you got to forgive him. What's it say in Matthew chapter number 18? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now I don't have time to go into the math, but the math isn't important. What Jesus is saying is high as you can count forever. You just continue to forgive that person. But... You do not have to let them keep hurting you. If they stole your car, you can forgive them, but don't leave your keys out. Come on, everybody. You don't have to trust them again. Let me put this a little more uh, in a practical every day. A woman has a husband who's an alcoholic, and he gets drunk every night and comes home, and every night when he comes home, he's drunk, and he beats her up. She finally gets the wisdom. She finally gets the courage to kick him out of the house. And if he comes back the next night and he's sober and he's crying at the door, hopefully you've changed the locks by then, and he's crying by the door saying, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? The answer to the question is yes, you should forgive the guy. And then he says, will you let me back in the home? The answer is no. Because grace and forgiveness is instant. But tr wait, wait a minute, you've been beating me up for five years, and you want me to get over it in five minutes? I don't think so. It's going to take, who, it, it, you, some of you are frowning at me right now. 
look like you're the abuser and mad. All right. It's a different issue is what I'm saying. No, let, we, can, we can put a plan together in what restoration of trust will look like. We can put a timeline together. We can put some benchmarks together. We can say, look, you need to start going to these meetings every Monday night. And, and I need to see a track record that is longer than one night of you being healthy. But before I open my world back up to you, the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, protect our heart. Because out of it springs the, the wellsprings of life flow out of it. So I have a responsibility to steward my own life. And yes, I can forgive you but Jonah you're causing a storm on my boat get off my boat come on everybody right it's a different issue and it takes a long time hear me it takes some time to build credibility um, here's what I know you can lose trust in a second I say this all the time it's a good mantra for me as a leader I always say to myself especially wherever I go places I go people I meet with decisions I have to make I always keep this in my mind I'm one step away from stupid how many know what I'm talking about you can destroy something in seconds that took you years to build one step from stupid I think about it all the time. I, I think about being stupid all the time. I think about it a lot because I'm afraid one decision, one action is one step from breaking credibility that I've worked hard as a leader to build. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that's why people don't understand what to do with leaders that fall, by the way. A little side note, oftentimes you hear people say, well, we just need to forgive them and let them go on. You should forgive them, but let them go on, not necessarily because that leader has broken trust and there has to be a game plan how to restore the trust. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Number three, let me give you one more. Forgiveness is not resuming the relationship without any changes. Because if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always had. You don't have to go back to that old, dysfunctional, hurting, unhealthy relationship. Just because you're a Christian does not mean you need to do life with everybody. You should do life with somebody, but you don't have to do life with everybody. Again, I have to steward my own heart. And if I allow those that tear apart the very wounds that I've spent a lifetime of healing, then I'm not being a good steward of the life that God gave me to live. Can I get an amen in the house? Forgiveness is not the same thing as reuniting. And if there is a reuniting, the ground rules have to be different. The way we play the game has to be different. For a relationship to be completely reconciled, I believe that the offender has to do some things. I think there should be repentance. I think that there should be, uh, there should be restitution. And I think there should be a rebuilding of the trust. And, and depending on the situation, that needs to be mapped out. We don't just hop back into that relationship and figure it out. No, no, there needs to be a plan. Uh, we need to get farther down the road, but how do we even get back to the starting line? There should be a plan for that. I'll let somebody that's smarter than me help you with the plan. All right, everybody? All right. Let me tell you this. Um, 
in my life, I desperately wanted and still want a relationship with somebody uh, in my family, not my direct family, my, not my family moving forward, but my family from the past. <laughs> and, and, and there's a relationship that I desperately want with this family member. But they won't take responsibility for any of this. They won't repent. And I want to have a relationship with it, but they won't. We can't even deal with what happened 10, 20, 30 other times. There's no promise that repentance, there's no promise that I know I did this, but I'm going to turn away from that and stop doing that. There's no repentance. There's no promise. There's no guarantee. There's not even a commitment that I won't do that to you anymore. Come on now. And so then I'm a bad steward of my own life if I put myself right back in the circle that almost took me out because I've spent a lot of money and a lot of time, a lot of prayer, a lot of emotion getting fixed from that wound. I'm not wise if I put myself right back with somebody that has not promised to take off the gloves. Come on, are you hearing me today? Yeah, yeah. Or the restitution, a plan for restitution or rebuilding of trust. What I want to do right now, I got these two white chairs up here, and uh, I want to interview my daughter-in-law. And, um, and she has an incredible story of reconciliation. And I, and I threatened her not to take too much of my preaching time, but um, she has a story that I want you to hear because she got to have what I haven't got to have, and I want her to share her journey, how we got there. Would you help me welcome Carmen to the platform? Come on, sweetie. Love you. Are you on? All right. All right. Well, let's sit down. And um, Carmen didn't want to sit in these chairs because they spin. And uh, I said, well, if you just keep your feet planted on the ground, you won't spin. How many of you know that'll preach, everybody, right? Uh, you can barely tell. I'll, I'll hold you steady. All right. I'll hold you steady. No, thanks for doing this. This was a last-minute idea, and we all week said, hey, let's go over that. We never did, so this is really raw. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> and so if she says anything out of line, Jake, um, he's the master editor, her husband, so he can edit that out. Uh, but let's just dive right into it so we don't mess up the, uh, the train of thought that we have going already. Um, uh, I know your story, and you're a miracle. I'm very proud of you, and thanks for being up here. And I'm already going to make you cry, right? So yeah. let's tell a joke, everybody. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of a joke real quick. Anyway, a horse walks into a bar. No, okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit. Just kind of give us, backfill it just a little bit, uh, and you go as, long, as much as you feel comfortable with. Give us a little bit of your childhood, what it was like growing up in your home. You were an only child. Yeah, only child. Okay. Um, I looked like the typical family. We were, uh, my mom stayed home with me a lot. My dad was the primary provider, went to church every Sunday, Wednesdays, I mean, all the time back in the 90s, right? Um, a lot of people didn't know that my mom was an alcoholic. Mm. Um, so at a very young age, I knew that something was not right. Um, I specifically remember in second grade, finally like realizing like something is wrong with my mom mm -hmm. and in that, what, what made you think of that I just I don't even know I just knew that she didn't act right all the okay. time okay. um and it and it wasn't like I was like scared or really anything it was just I knew that she was sick in some sort of way and so I instantly thought like okay when mom is sick I need to take care of her 
Mm. And so because my dad worked full time, I was often my mom and I mm. at home alone. Yeah, and, hold on. Yeah. That's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Your second grade, you yeah. say? Second, how old's a second grader? Like um, seven, eight. Seven or eight, yeah. yeah. Um, that's a lot of responsibility. And the in, see, that's why the enemy wants to continue to hurt us through generation after generation, right? So that's a lot of responsibility. Sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. Um, so I would, I would, I would take care of her in the only way, like a second grader knows how. I'd be like, okay, mom, will you just lay down? And I, I'll, I got it. Like, mm-hmm. don't worry about me, right? Mm-hmm. And um, in fifth grade, my mom actually got delivered from alcoholism. Mm. It's a a pretty incredible story. Should I go into a little sure. bit? Give us, a, give us the reader digest. <laughs> yeah. Version. So um, in fifth grade, I remember um, it got to the point where my dad was like, hey, you needed to start taking the bus home. Mm. Like, Mom can't pick you up from mm-hmm. school anymore. And so I would pray um, from the bus all the way to my house uh, that my mom wouldn't be drunk when I got home. And one day I got home and she was drunk. And I was like, Mom, every day I pray that you're not going to be drunk. And she was like, you know, we got into a pretty heated argument about it. And she finally was just like, something has to change. So she called our pastor's wife and they prayed for her over the phone. And they're like, okay, your daughter's with you. You, she needs to pray for you and pray that you will be delivered from alcoholism. And at fifth grade, you know, fifth grade, I'm like, I don't know how to pray for people to be healed, but I just kind of did what they said, believing that it was going to happen. And from that day forward, she never wanted to drink again. Wow. Come on, everybody. That's good. So walk us through then your relationship as a child with your parents and then how that, what that looked like from that time on going into adulthood. Yeah. So um, looking back, I mean, I feel like all things considering, I had a great childhood. I love my parents. Had a great relationship with them, Um, had a lot of fun with them, but obviously just because she stopped drinking, that didn't mean that all the issues went away, right? Right, Because she still had to deal with the things that were causing her to drink Mm -hmm. in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, So I always still was... So watch this, hold that thought. So the reason we're dealing with confronting conflict, because obviously a mom that's acting that way has unresolved conflict in her life. And that's now being carried over into another generation unless something happens. Unless she didn't realize in the fifth grade, but what she was doing, she was confronting the conflict, right? Because conflict has to be confronted, otherwise it will continue on. Sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. I don't know where I was. All right, well, let's do this. Um, um, So... Your, oh, I your, remember. Okay, okay, go ahead. Yeah, so I still felt the need that it was my job to take care of her, to make sure she was always okay emotionally, mentally, that she was happy. And so a lot of the things that I did revolved around whether I thought it was going to make her happy or not. Right. So you were living your life basically for her happiness. Yes. So then a few years back, your dad passed. Mm-hmm. And how did that relationship, what was that like? Because your dad for so many years was kind of the buffer. Yeah, he was. He he held a, um, he was a very stable person for my mom. He um, took really good care of her. And so being an only child after he passed, I felt like, okay, now it's my job. Like mm-hmm. I have to, not just mentally, mm-hmm. but physically mm-hmm. need to make sure she's okay mm-hmm. in, in all the ways in it. Yeah. Um, 
and started to, you know, put her before myself and my own family. Yeah. So what was the transition? So she stopped drinking, but obviously she still had some issues that needed to get resolved. Yeah. And so what was the catalyst or uh, when did you realize that as an adult something had to change because you were now carrying your childhood relationship with her into your adult and that started affecting the yeah. next generation? Yeah. So. It's really hard for me to say that. I, you know, I was putting my mom before my daughter. Yeah, yeah. Not on purpose. Until we con confront conflict, we will continue to repeat the cycle. We have to break some generational curses. We have to confront conflict. We have to have reconciliation. We have to protect our own heart or we'll never be good for anybody else. A daughter... My husband. husband, yeah, yeah, and so uh, tell us a little bit about how did you start reconciling? Uh, how that process begin with your mom? Because you have a great relationship with yeah, her now. Yeah, yeah, I have a great relationship with my mom now. But um, obviously, things got pretty intense between us because I wasn't healthy anymore. She wasn't healthy, and so we we took a season where we didn't really have a relationship. Um, and I ended up going to therapy during that, and you know, decided, first of all, I decided I wanted to have a relationship with my mom. It was important to me, and mm -hmm. I wanted to, hopefully she was willing to put in the work to have a relationship with me as well. And so I knew that if I was going to have a relationship with her, I we couldn't go back to the way that it was. Right. Now, this is key. I want everybody to hear this, because it's not kumbaya, let's just be, let's just be sweet. There had to be some ground rules. Right. So I, um, with my therapist, laid out healthy boundaries because I didn't really know what healthy boundaries were since that was all I knew. And I had to have a conversation with her face to face. It was hard. It was uncomfortable. She got hurt at first, but after being able to process it, she understood mm -hmm. um, and realized that it was for both of us, mm -hmm. right? Because it's not good for her to rely on me for everything as well. Right, right, right. Yeah. So what's that relationship look like today? Yeah, we have a, a great relationship. She, um, like, But there's still boundaries there's still, in place. There's still boundaries, yeah. and there's always going to be, we're always reevaluating those, right? Depending on where I am in my life, I need to mm -hmm. be think, like, okay, mm -hmm. is this healthy for me? Right, right. Um, but yeah, we, we hang out all the time. Um, I talk to her yeah. like all the time. It's, been, just, it's been a great yeah. process watching you go through that. Uh, I'm very proud of you. You have done something that I wished I could do in my life. But watch this. It takes both. Forgiveness can, only, can happen just by one. But reconciliation has to be both. Does that make sense? Her mom didn't even know what she was getting into, but she said yes to the boundaries. She said yes to the rules of engagement. You, you hearing what I'm saying? Forgiveness can happen just by Carmen. I've forgiven the person in my life, but I haven't had reconciliation. I've wanted that, but that person didn't repent and didn't, wasn't willing for the rules of engagement. Yes. And yours was. That's the difference. Yes. Carmen, I love you. I'm proud of you. Thank you so much. All right. Can we thank her? All right. Thanks. All right. Now, I've got about two minutes to um, close this up, but I want to give you a couple of things real quick. Um, because some of you have been hurt, and I, and I looked out in the crowd, and as she had tears coming down her face, some of you had tears coming down yours. 
And you say, Ken, you just don't understand. You have no idea how deep my hurt is. You have no idea the abuse I've gone through. And, and so here's what I want to do. I, I don't. I, I know I've been through mine. You've been through yours. But we can't compare how we process those. Some of us have better tools. Some of us have better circumstances. But let me just ask you two questions. As you're trying to process, how do I forgive? How do I reconcile? What do I do with all these old feelings? How do I do that? Let me just ask you two questions. Number one, the question would be why, uh, if we have that, why should I let go of my hurt? I, I just want you to ask yourself that question. Why should I let go of my hurt? And now I'm going to give you some possible answers, all right? Um, I want to give you three. Now, I don't have time to go into this story today, but if you're serious about this, jot down this verse, Matthew chapter number 18, or you can take a picture of it, verse number 21 through 35. Jesus tells the story of the unforgiving servant. He talks about how one guy got forgiven thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of debt, and then he turned around and wouldn't forgive somebody that owed him some pocket change. It's a powerful story. And out of that story, we get these three answers to why we should forgive. Number one is because God has forgiven us. That's the first reason. I mean, God forgave me, everybody. God forgave you. The fact you will never have to forgive anybody more than God has already forgiven you. Come on, he has forgiven us completely. He's forgiven us without probation. He's forgiven us unconditionally. He's forgiven us while there is no promise that we'll ever get it right. Come on, he continues to forgive constantly. Aren't you glad for it today? Amen. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God has forgiven, or just as in Christ, God forgave us. Um, I really believe one of the reasons that people have such a hard time forgiving other people is because when we don't understand God's grace or feel God's grace, then we don't feel like being gracious to others. When we feel guilty and when we feel condemned, we want, even if it's subconscious, we want others to feel bad and condemned for what they've done to us. But when you get a hold of God's grace, come on, when you really get a hold of God's grace and God's grace gets a hold of you, you want to be able to give that same grace that was given to you. Here's a second reason. Resentment just simply doesn't work. Come on, I got one amen in the house. Has anybody else tried resentment? Has anybody else tried paying back? Has anybody else tried being mad for a lifetime? Has anybody else tried this and realized this doesn't work? It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Matter of fact, a lesson I learned a long time ago from three very wise men. Well, they weren't really wise. They were the three stooges. One of the stories I've seen was when Mo kept hitting Curly in the chest. He kept hitting him in the chest. And, and, and the scene goes, I mean, this is the good old days right here, everybody. This is believable television right here. And so Curly goes out and he gets some dynamite. And he straps it to his chest with the idea that next time Mo hits me in the chest, it'll blow his hand off. 
Yeah, I'm glad you get the humor because it's intended. And oftentimes that's what resentment is. I'm going to strap dynamite to me so that I hurt anybody that tries to hurt me. But we're killing all the possibility of what God might have for our lives in life-giving relationships, right? You read the story of Job. He lost everything. His kids, his cat, just he lost everything uh, um, except his wife, and I think she is part of the problem. But anyway, all right. Job chapter number five. That's not a slam on women. That's the Bible story. She told Job to cuss God and die. How many know that's a problem? That was not a chauvinistic thing. All right. To worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. He said this after losing everything. Everything, his kids, his cattle, his business, his properties, his health. He lost everything, and he wrote this. The third reason that we should forgive is, I'm going to need more forgiveness in the future. And Matthew 6 says, but if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you of your sins. Here's the last thing I want to ask you. How do, if you're sitting there, I want you to consider this question. How do I let go of people that have hurt me? Ken, really, how do I let go of it? I'm not asking you to forget it. I'm not asking you to recognize. I'm asking that today you make a conscious decision, I'm going to let go of that. In fact, I'm going to drop it at the feet of Jesus because he's big enough to deal with those individuals. How do I do that? Let me give you a couple thoughts. Number one is relinquish your right to get even. If you've ever laid in bed at night, I'll admit I've done it, and you think of all the ways you can get them back. Next time I see him, I'm going to say this. And you know you've rehearsed it. You've pictured yourself locking them in prison. You've pictured yourself torturing them. You've pictured yourself telling them off. You've pictured yourself embarrassing them. You've pictured yourself putting them in their place. But you have to relinquish your right to get even because as Christ followers, we daily die to ourselves. Mm. And you say, well, that's not fair, Ken. I know. But was it fair for God to forgive you? Just a thought, just a thought. Number two is remember, you got to remember God has a purpose for your life. And here's what I want to say real quick on this. Don't let anybody steal your purpose. Don't let anybody steal your purpose. Don't let somebody have that much power in your life. You've heard me many times tell the story. In 2011, I almost left the ministry for good because I had allowed some hurt and resentment and and things to build up. And so I almost left. I almost gave an example to my kids of how to quit when the going gets tough. I almost left, and this church would have never been built or it would have never been birthed. And if I would have done that, I would have allowed those that hurt me To have more power than the calling and the purpose of God in my life. Don't you let that happen, everybody. Amen? Come on now. And then number three, got to close. Um, And I love this one. Is you've got to respond to the evil with good. Come on, we're Christ followers. we got to respond. Romans chapter number 12, verse number 21. I'll close this up. Don't be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. How many know that's way easier to read than to do? Right? Now, let me just take a pastoral moment here. This verse and this principle of responding to evil with good, hear this. This is an important factor at Radius Church. This is so important that we do not spend any time in this church criticizing the world for what it does. 
criticizing the politicians and criticizing the government and criticizing those that don't believe or didn't sign up to believe the way that we believe, we do not have the right to judge a world that's not sitting here that did not decide to come to church on Sunday, that did not sign up to live a life the way we decided to live life. Let's not spend the platform time, let's not spend our social time criticizing all the evil that's going on in the world, but let's be givers of life and let's be hope dealers and let's go out there and be lights in a dark world and love the world like God loved the world. Come on, everybody. Watch this. You do not change the world by criticizing it. You overcome evil with good. And that's what we do here. That's what I'm asking you to do in your life. And we don't criticize. We're just going to do good. Amen, everybody? Come on, would you give the Lord a good hand?